Hey, good morning and welcome to Faith on Hills online Sunday morning. Uh, we meet in person and online every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. Uh, in person, we have our chairs distanced, everyone's wearing masks. Uh, we're not just paying lip service to that, we're doing all the things uh, that we're supposed to be doing to keep everybody safe. Online, our Sunday morning messages premiere at 10.30 a.m. on our website, faithonhill.com, on our Facebook page, and audio-only versions are on Apple Music and Spotify. Now, if you are watching the video on our Facebook page, welcome. We are glad that you are here, but we do believe that the best interactive and viewing experience is at faithonhill.com. If you're on with the video this morning, say hello in the chat or the comments. We'd love to know who's here. Now, if you have prayer requests that you feel comfortable sharing, throw them out there. We'd love to know how we can be praying with you and for you. Uh, if you are on the audio-only feed, of course, there are no chat or comments, so you can shoot me an email, adam at faithonhill.com. Let me know that you're listening, how we can be praying for you as a church. Also, every Thursday, we have episodes of our 20-minute Bible study podcast. Video version is on our Facebook page, and the audio version is on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. We're currently going through the book of Exodus. Uh, and then we have small groups that have restarted, and our primary small group right now during this pandemic is on Zoom every Wednesday night at 7 p.m. Uh, if you would like to get the link for that, it, you can just email smallgroups at faithonhill.com, and we'll get you the link. Um, it's a great time of getting together in community, praying for one another, um, really I thought an impressively moving and powerful time in prayer this last Wednesday night. Um, and then also there's questions uh, that we go over from the Sunday morning message, so we go deeper into the Word of God. And if you kind of want to know what the, the track at Faith on Hill is, uh, we welcome everybody who wants to come to feel like they can belong here. But if you want to go to the next step, what's after just showing up on Sunday morning, small group is our biggest next step. Finally, I want to invite you to pray with me for our nation. Uh, we know that these have been troubling days, and we have seen unrest and uncertainty and violence. So would you bow your head and your heart for me as we pray for our nation, our people, and our leaders? Our Father in heaven, we know that yours is the true kingdom and the true power. Of your kingdom, there will be no end. Your rule is the only one that has truth and perfect peace. Yet you've put us in this country, in this place, and so we want to obey you when you say to pray for those in authority. So we pray, Lord, for our incoming president, that you would give him and his administration wisdom in how to lead. We pray that you would give him humility we pray that you would give him peace. We pray that you would cause him to bow his knee and his heart before you. Lord, we pray for our outgoing president. We pray that you would be with him, that you would cause him to seek you, that you would cause him to look to you, that you would uh, be with him and his family in this time of transition. They are human beings 
human souls who need the work of God through Jesus Christ, just as everyone else does. And we pray that you would do that work in them. Lord, we pray for our state leaders. We pray for our governor. We pray for our county and, and city leaders. We pray that you would cause the same work to be done in them, that they would humble themselves before you, that they would seek peace and truth and justice, that they would be humble towards others and before you. And we pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. If you have a Bible, open it to the book of Daniel, chapter 2. In chapter 2, starting in verse 1, it says that in the second year of his reign, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams. So Nebuchadnezzar's been king for about two years, and he has these dreams, and his mind was troubled, and he could not sleep. So the king summoned the magicians, enchanters, sorcerers, and astrologers to tell him what he had dreamed. <clears throat> when they came in and stood before the king, he said to them, I have had a dream that troubles me and I want to know what it means. Then the astrologers answered the king, may the king live forever. Tell your servants the dream and we will interpret it. Then the king answered, I am certain that you are trying to gain time because you realize that this is what I have firmly decided. If you do not tell me the dream, there is only one penalty for you. You have conspired to tell me misleading and wicked things, hoping the situation will change. So then tell me the dream and I will know that you can interpret it for me. The astrologers answered the king, there is no one on earth who can do what the king asks. No king, however great and mighty, has ever asked such a thing of any magician or enchanter or astrologer. What the king asks is too difficult. No one can reveal it to the king except the gods, and they do not live among humans. Boy, were they wrong about that. This made the king so angry and furious that he ordered the execution of all the wise men of Babylon. So there's a crisis going on, and the world is full of crisis, and there's crises big and small. There are worldwide global crises, pandemics, economic crises, war, threats of war. There's localized crisis, sudden illness, loss of a job, an unexpected death, an unexpected bill, an unexpected relationship that you thought was so strong and it's, that relationship is just broken. Crisis is big and small, worldwide and very individualized are happening all around us. What's the crisis in your life or your network? In your life or your network? And what I mean by network is this, because the way that human beings interact now, it's not just our direct neighbors that is our community anymore. In fact, it's more likely that I have deeper relational connection to somebody who is 
a thousand miles away than I do with somebody who lives right next door to me. It would be strange if that wasn't the case given the way that most people interact in 2021. But whatever your network is, whether it's family or friends or neighbors or whoever, coworkers, whatever it is, what's the crisis that's going on in your life or your network? Because if there isn't one going on in your life, there will be. And if there isn't one going on, on in your life, then I guarantee you know, you know someone who's going through a crisis right now. You know somebody who is going through a trial right now. Nebuchadnezzar has this dream and it troubles him to his core. That's his crisis. We see here at the end of verse 12 that he gives the order that all the wise men of his kingdom are to be executed. That's their crisis. What's the crisis in your world? Now, in response to this crisis, Nebuchadnezzar calls all of these wise men together. Now, we might read enchanters and astrologers and sorcerers and think that's all the same thing, but not to them. What it would be like, what it would be like is if a crisis erupts and you had the means or the ability to get together the best doctors, the best lawyers, the best psychologists, the best psychics, and put them all in the same room. And yes, I did say psychics and doctors. Like Nebuchadnezzar is trying everything. The, the astrologers of his day would have been equally scientific as they were pseudoscience because they would have been those who kept track of the days and the seasons. And so what he's doing is he's calling everyone in because this is how, how deep and existential and, and all-consuming this dream was in his mind. And there are people in our world who have tried everything. Go to the doctor. They didn't. They didn't help. They gave me. They. They. They might have. They might have mended my bone, but they didn't mend the the cause. You know, somebody goes because the life's not fulfilling in, enough for them, so they do something extreme or dangerous, and they get injured. And the doctor can heal their body, but it, they don't heal the root or the cause. Somebody goes to um, a psychologist, and I firmly believe in getting help and keeping your mental health good and taking care of yourself mentally as much as we should take care of ourselves physically, firmly believe in that. But while a good counselor might help me process some things going on, they can only help to a point. And there's still spiritual dynamics that they can't get to. And so Nebuchadnezzar has called everyone together and it's not enough. He had tried it all and he was done with them. Verse 8 he says, I'm certain that you're just trying to gain time. Because at some point, I think he had shared dreams with them before. I think he had shared problems with them before. And it just wasn't enough. So he said, I'm going to test you. If you can tell me what my dream was without me telling you and then interpret it, I will believe you. I think there is a challenge to those of us in the church to not just have easy believism answers. Because when somebody comes to us as representatives of the good news of Jesus Christ. It's okay to say, I don't know. It's okay to say, you know what, here's the, here's the issue you have presented me and I don't have an answer, but let's look for an answer together. That's totally fine. That's not what I'm talking about. 
But if all of my answers are just easy believism, well, you just got to let go and let God, you just got to trust and believe. Sure, at some point, it all comes down to faith. I grant you that. But if I just give somebody like the easy pat answer that I give everybody, you know, I, oh, Adam gives everybody that answer. Instead of listening to them and process and then saying, you know what, let's go before God together. There's a crisis going on in Nebuchadnezzar's life, which has led to a crisis going on for all of the wise men. But you know, the real issue isn't crisis, because all of us will have crisis in our lives at some point. And many of us are experiencing some level of crisis right now. The issue is how we respond. We're going through this series in the book of Daniel, and we're talking about how to live as exiles. How is it that we are supposed to live as strangers in a strange land? This world is not our home. We are citizens of the kingdom of heaven, but yet we're here. How do we make our life here as exiles? Last week, we talked about how exiles lived differently. This week, we're talking about how exiles live dependently. Because when the crisis comes, how do we respond? And the only response I have found is to be dependent on the work of God in my life. Verse 14. Oh, sorry, verse 13, excuse me. So the, the decree was issued to put all the wise men to death, and men were sent to look for Daniel and his friends to put them to death. When Ariok, the commander of the king's guard, had gone out to put to death the wise men of Babylon, Daniel spoke to him with wisdom and tact. Uh, I, I liked uh, another translation that said he spoke with discretion and discernment. He asked the king's officer, verse 15, why did the king issue such a harsh decree? Ariok then explained the matter to Daniel. At this, Daniel went into the king and asked for time so that he might interpret the dream for him. Then Daniel returned to his house and explained the matter to his friends, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. He urged them to plead for mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery so that he and his friends might not be executed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. Good plan. Verse 19, during the night, the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision. And Daniel praised the God of heaven and said, Praise be the name of God forever and ever. Wisdom and power are his. He changes the times and seasons. He deposes kings and raises up others. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to the discerning. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what lies in the darkness and light dwells with him. And I don't know who needs to hear this, but verse 22, he reveals deep and hidden things. And whatever is, is going and, and shaking and, and bubbling under the surface in the deep and the hidden parts of your life, God is ready and able and willing to work there and bring his light into our darkness. Verse 23, I thank and praise you, God of my ancestors. You have given me wisdom and power. You have made known to me what we asked of you. You have made known to us the dream of the king. Then Daniel went to Ariok, whom the king had appointed to execute the wise men of Babylon, and said to him, Do not execute the wise men of Babylon. Take me to the king, 
and I will interpret his dream for him. Arioch took Daniel to the king and said, I have found a man among the exiles from Judah who can tell the king what his dream means. The king asked Daniel, also called Belshazzar, Are you able to tell me what I saw in my dream and interpret it? Daniel replied, No wise man, enchanter, magician, or diviner can explain to the king the mystery he is asked about. But, but, there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. He has shown King Nebuchadnezzar what will happen in days to come. Your dream and visions that pass through your mind as you were lying in bed are these. As your majesty was lying there, your mind turned to things to come, and the revealer of mysteries showed you what is going to happen. As for me, this mystery has been revealed to me, but not because I am greater in wisdom than any other person alive, but so that your majesty may know the interpretation and that you might understand what went through your mind. All of us have crisis. The question is how we respond. And the only way for exiles to respond is to live dependently. Now, Daniel was ready. Verse 14, you know, it's the middle of the night or early morning. That's kind of the, the idea or the impression that we get from the text here. That in the middle of the night or early in the morning, the king is awoken by this dream. His wise men are unable to satisfy his questions and so he orders their death and so he sends out his guards or soldiers to round up all the wise men bring them to a place and then execute them so at some point early in the morning a knock is on daniel's door and there's different kinds of knocks right like there's like that's, you know, the sort of like warm, friendly knock. But then there's like the pounding, open up now. And Daniel opens, it's this guard, this captain of the guards, Ariok, And he says, the king has ordered that you will be executed. Now that's a crisis. Uh, whatever you use to define crisis, that is a crisis. Daniel was ready to respond. Reminds me of 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 2 in the New Testament. And Paul was writing to Timothy, who was a, a young leader in the early church. And he said, Timothy, you've got to be ready in season and out of season to do the work that God has called you to do. Many of you know that I'm a Seahawks fan. The Seahawks season just ended. None of those players are getting ready to play games. They're going off and they're taking vacations and they're getting married or they're spending time with their kids and their wife or they're, they're getting surgeries that they need or they're just resting and letting their bodies heal. And at some point, then they'll begin the preparation for the next season. What Paul is saying to Timothy, and I think by extension to us, is that we as Christians, as representatives of the kingdom of God, of the good news of Jesus Christ, we need to be ready. Sometimes we think, okay, I'm going to get ready. I'm going to go on this mission trip. I'm going to show up to church. I'm going to do this event, and then I will be ready to do the work that God has called me to do. But what happens when the, the knock on your door, so to speak, the text or the phone call, the, the out of nowhere? Now, I think being ready 
comes from a lot of places. It comes from living a generally healthy life. Like, can you imagine if, if Daniel, we saw last week, that he wouldn't eat the king's food or the wine. He, he wasn't hungover drunk. Like, he was ready to go at the early hours. You know, he was ready to do the work that God was putting on him. Uh, I think there, there's something to that on a real practical, physical level. If we are living uh, healthy, uh, physically, we'll be ready or more ready than we would have been. Being healthy spiritually. You know, we're going to see in a few minutes that Daniel already had a connection to God. If I am living dependently, exiles live dependently, then, then I, I need to already have a connection to God. And, and, and I don't just mean having faith, but, but I mean there is something about spiritual health just as much as there is about physical or mental or emotional health. Uh, that uh, The Psalms say, Your word, O Lord, I have hidden in my heart so that I might not sin against you. That, that if I have prayer built up, if I have scripture, the word of God built in my heart, if I have um, the work of God in my heart, humbling me, strengthening me, so that I am ready, because I don't have enough strength and you don't have enough strength to do the work that God has given us to do, but God does. So the only way that I can do the work or that you can do the work that God has given us is to live in full dependence on God's strength because I don't have it, you don't have it, and we don't have it, but he does have it. Daniel was ready. And he answers with discernment. He answers with discernment. If somebody knocks on your door in the middle of the night or early in the morning and says, I have come here to bring you to the place of execution, that's the crisis, right? But Daniel asks a discerning question in verse 15. Why did the king issue such a harsh decree? What's the underlying issue? What's the underlying issue? Discernment's actually a spiritual gift for the Christian. There are times where, where we're faced with a crisis situation and, and I have to pray, Lord, give me discernment to know what's really going on. Because it's really easy to focus on the surface level thing and assume that's the issue. And sometimes it is. But often there's some deeper thing that's happening and I need the discernment and wisdom from God to know how to respond. Part of being ready in season, out of season is, is literally being prepared. Um, now, in his discernment, Daniel goes to the king and he says, hey, can you give us some time to interpret the dream? I do think it's worth noting that there is a difference between his request and the wise men. The king said, you guys are stalling, but Daniel, he gave time to. Um, you know, if, if, you, apparently, if you have a track record of stalling, and apparently these wise men did, he was just done with them. Uh, and sometimes we can be prisoners of the past and... and Part of living dependently is recognizing that if God's doing something, he's doing something. And so somebody might say, hey, you know, we tried that 20 years ago. Sure, that was 20 years ago. What if God's calling you to do the thing that didn't work 20 years ago? Just throwing that out there. Also, part of being ready, verse 17, Daniel was connected in community. What happens in verse 17? He finds out all this stuff, and then he returned to his house and explained the matter to his friends Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. One of the reasons why small groups are so important. One of the reasons why we say, hey, if you're here at Faith on Hill and it's your church, we encourage you to get connected in a small group is so that we are ready for the day of crisis, so that we're connected. 
so that it's noticed, so that we have someone to go to. I'm, I'm not alone. I'm linked arm and arm, side by side with other brothers and sisters who are standing there with me, going to God together. He, he responded with discernment. He responded because he was connected in community. It's amazing how many people will live in total spiritual isolation. And if I'm speaking to you, I am not trying to guilt trip you, but I am trying to encourage you. And you, you might know who you are. People who live in spiritual isolation. And then when the crisis comes, there's a freak out and they go to the nearest uh, church or whatever that they know of and they say, help. And the church says, who are you? And it's not because we don't care. It's not because we don't care. It's because we don't know. But if I am connected in community, when the time of crisis comes, I will stand infinitely stronger. Infinitely stronger. There's a reason why the pastor is in a small group too. You know, you hear about churches where they make a big deal about small groups and then the pastor's never part of one. They make a big deal about prayer and the pastor never prays. I'm in a small group. I'm part of it because I need it just as much as everyone else does. In verse 18, they go and prayer. And he says to plead for mercy from God concerning this so that we may not be executed. Why? Because they had no other solution. The order has already been given. All of the wise men will be executed. And Daniel and his friends are counted among that number. And now there is no hope except that God does something miraculous. There are so many times when I look around this world and I say, Lord, I don't know how you're going to, how we're going to do this except through your work. Exiles live dependently. If we are going to live in this world on the mission and the plan that God has given for each and every one of us to do, the only way we can do it is being fully dependent on the work of God in our lives. I'm not strong enough. You're not strong enough. But Jesus is, and he makes that way for us. One of the things about living dependently, though, is that you have to recognize it's not me. In, in verse 25, Daniel goes to Ariok, the official, and you get the, the you have to kind of inference this, but it seems like uh, King has a bad dream, wakes everybody up, doesn't like their answer, says, all right, I'm going to kill everybody. Then during the morning, he gets a message saying, hey, there's somebody who thinks they can interpret the dream. They just need a little bit of time to seek their God. Okay, I will give them a little bit of time because somebody here thinks they can do it. And then Daniel and his friends pray. He goes to bed in the middle of the night. God reveals the dream. So it's a day or two later. And Daniel goes and Ariok, the, the chief guard, what does he do? Verse 25 he goes to the king and he says, I have found a man among the exiles from Judah who can tell the kings what the dream means. So he's trying to take credit. Hey, I found the guy. Daniel comes before the king and he says, I didn't do this. I'm not any better than anyone else. But there's a God in heaven. That's why repeatedly it says here in chapter 2, the God of heaven. Because there were all kinds of gods, false gods that people gave power to and, and gave ascribed power to. And Daniel says, no, 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 there's a true God in heaven. And it's not because I'm special or because I'm powerful, but it's because he's powerful. Part of living dependently is recognizing who gets the credit. I, 
I don't do anything. You don't do anything. We just step out and we say, Lord, use us in whatever way you want. Yes, we have to step out, but we know that it's God's power. One of the cool things about that, though, is verse 30. In verse 30, it says, As for me, that's speaking of Daniel, this mystery has been revealed to me, not because I am greater in wisdom than anyone else alive, but so that your majesty may know the interpretation and you may understand what went through your mind. Don't limit what God can do. You might say, this is as far as I can go in life. And maybe the, there are people around you who say, no, no, you can go a little further. Or, you know, there's been people around you who have been uh, verbally or emotionally abusive. And they say, no, you, you think you can go that high, please? You can, you, this is as high as you'll ever get. And God's saying you're all wrong. That, that there's no limit. There's, the sky's the limit to what God can do. Look at the disciples in the Gospels. Those guys are screw-ups. Look at Paul in the book of Acts. That guy was a murderer. John Mark, who wrote the Gospel of Mark. That guy was a flake. That guy, that guy bailed on, on Paul and Barnabas when they needed him. He, he bailed out. He totally left him, left him hanging. And yet, God used him to write one of the four Gospels. Don't look at yourself and say, this is my ceiling. This is as much as God can do. There, what God can do through a person who surrenders themselves to God is limitless. And so here's Daniel, and Daniel's saying, hey, I, I'm not better than anybody else, but I sought the true God. And he is the one who has given me the ability to answer the king. Now, the, the answer might surprise you. You go to God for answers. You say, here's this crisis. Here's this trouble. I, I've got all these problems. I need answers. I need solutions. The answers might surprise you. Verse 31. Your majesty looked. And there before you stood a large statue, an enormous, dazzling statue, awesome in appearance. The head of the statue was made of pure gold, its chest and arms of silver, its belly and thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, its feet partly of clay and partly of iron. While you were watching, a rock cut out, but not by human hands. A rock was cut out, not, but not by human hands. It struck the statue on its feet of iron and clay and smashed them. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, and the silver and gold were all broken into pieces and became like chaff on a threshing floor in the summer. So chaff, we live in the city. Most of us might not know what that means, but basically it's like the, the, the dust, the little the leftovers. You've had a bunch of wheat that's been threshed, you know, to make flour and, and bread and things, and the, and, and the little bits that look like hay that are just kind of left there on the ground. That's how worthless these precious metals that the statue had been made of had, had become. The wind swept them away without leaving a trace, but the rock that, stu that struck the statue became a huge mountain and filled the whole earth. This was the dream and now we will interpret it to the king. So the king's not disagreeing. Yes, that was my dream. Verse 37, Your majesty, you are the king of kings. The God of heaven has given you dominion and power and might and glory. In your hands he has placed all mankind and the beasts of the field and the birds of the sky. Wherever they live, he has made you the ruler over them. You are the head of gold. After you, another king will arise, another kingdom will arise inferior to yours. Next, a third kingdom one of bronze will rule over the whole earth. Finally, there will be a fourth kingdom, strong as iron, 
For iron breaks and smashes everything, and as iron breaks things to pieces, so it will crush and break all the others. Just as you saw the feet and toes were partly baked clay and partly iron, so this will be a divided kingdom. Yet it will have some of the strength of iron in it, even as you saw iron mixed with clay. And the toes were partly from iron and partly clay, so this kingdom will be partly strong and partly brittle. Just as you saw the iron mixed with baked clay, so the people will be a mixture and will not remain united any more than iron mixes with clay, because it doesn't. You can't mix the two. In that time of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed, nor will it be left to another people. It will crush all those kingdoms and bring them to an end, and it itself will endure forever. This is the meaning of the vision of the rock cut out of the mountain, but not by human hands. A rock that broke the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold pieces. The great God has shown the king what will take place in the future. The dream is true, and the interpretation is trustworthy. So Nebuchadnezzar has this dream. He's troubled by it, and the answer might surprise you. Nebuchadnezzar, you are the currently the, the most powerful man on the planet. And historically, that's pretty true. You are, the, you are the most powerful man alive at that time. You have the, the strongest empire. It's all true. But your empire is going to be replaced and not by a greater empire. Like it's, it's one thing to, you know, to lose to the best, right? You know, um, growing up, I was a Sonics fan. I grew up in Seattle. The Sonics fan and the Sonics, when I was in sixth grade, the Sonics made it to the NBA championship and we lost to the greatest ever, the GOAT, Michael, Michael Jordan. We lost to Michael Jordan. It's a little easier when you lose to the greatest ever, Michael Jordan. What, what Daniel is saying is your kingdom is going to be replaced, but not by a greater kingdom, by a lesser kingdom. And historically, that is true. The Babylonian Empire was replaced by the Medes and the Persians, and they were not stronger than the Babylonians had been under Nebuchadnezzar. And the Medes and the Persians, uh, I'm not recommending it, but if you've seen the movie 300, they're the bad guys in that movie. They're replaced by the good guys in that movie, the Greeks. And the Greeks were very strong, but not as strong as the Babylonians. And the Greeks were replaced by the Roman Empire, and the Roman Empire crushed everything it saw until it broke apart. And it splintered, just as Daniel's prophecy said. It splintered. And I'm, I'll tell you, you know, the, it's interesting. Every attempt to form a European empire, they have all tried to claim the natural succession. We are the next Roman Empire. Whether it's the Holy Roman Empire, the Byzantine Empire, uh, Austro-Hungarian Empire, the Third Reich, Whoever it is, they've all tried to claim that natural heritage. We are the true successors of Rome. And it never works. It's splintered and divided. And what Daniel's saying is, you are the greatest king, but God is going to crush these kingdoms. This rock not made with human hands. And of that kingdom, there will be no end. The answer to the king's dream is the end of his kingdom and the eternal God dominance of God's kingdom. We live dependently on God because we know that his kingdom is coming. 
We live dependently on God because we know that even the greatest rulers in human history are blown away and forgotten in comparison to the kingdom of heaven and the rule, the coming rule of Jesus, the true king. And if you are in a moment of crisis and you respond by seeking God, his answers may not be the one you want to hear. It may be that God tells you to do something that you don't want to do. But if he does, it's because it's for our good. So in verse 46, the king, this is how bad things were for the king. He gets told that your kingdom will come to an end by an inferior kingdom. And he's so glad that somebody has finally told him what this dream means that he it says, verse 46, he fell prostrate before Daniel and paid him honor and ordered that an offering of incense be presented to him. And the king said to Daniel, the king said to Daniel, surely your God is the God of gods and the Lord of kings and a revealer of mysteries, for you were able to reveal this mystery. Then the king placed Daniel in a high position and lavished many gifts on him, made him a ruler over the entire province of Babylon placed him in charge of all of its wise men. Moreover, at Daniel's request, the king appointed Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego administrators over the province of Babylon, while Daniel himself remained at the royal court. One of the things about living dependently, and I want to close with this thought, is that more responsibility means more dependence on God. That when I was single, I was just responsible for myself. And then I was married, and now I have a responsibility to my wife. And now I have kids, and now I have a responsibility to them. And the more responsibility I have, and, and I pastor this church, so I have a responsibility to you. The more responsibilities that we have, the more dependence is required. The more prayer is required the more connection is required. All of these things that, that Daniel had going as the crisis came and he responded as, as an exile and he is only, his only recourse, his only option is to seek God. And, and as this happens, he becomes more dependent. He's been promoted and you say, oh, that's the end of the story. No. In fact, Daniel's troubles are going to increase. We're going to find that out in the next few weeks. But as, as there is more responsibility, we have greater dependence. And, and, and as we're stepping out and doing the things that God wants to do, we need to be more dependent, not less. Oh, I'll just come to the place where I can kick back. Not so. Now, verse 46 is problematic. Why is the king, would a king have done that? Would a king have bowed down? Verse 40, and, and would Daniel, the godly man, have allowed it? Verse 47 kind of explains it. The king was giving honor and recognition to the God of Daniel, not to Daniel himself. But I think the big takeaway point is that Daniel and his friends, as they increase their responsibility, their dependence level is going to go up. And we as exiles, this is not our home. We are, we are citizens of the kingdom of heaven. We, we, 
We thought we were in Jerusalem or we were born in Jerusalem, however you want to see it. But we're in Babylon now. What do we do? We have to live dependently on God. And if you are watching this, but you say, you know what? I, I don't know that I'm in the kingdom of heaven. I, I might have faith, but I don't know that it's saving faith. I, I believe in God, but I don't know that I have that, that power of God that you're talking about. The only way to have that is through Jesus. That Jesus Christ, who is God in human flesh, equally God with God the Father and God the Holy Spirit, that Jesus makes our way to heaven. And, and the only way that I can live dependently is through the work that God does through Jesus in my life. And so if you are not a Christian, the invitation is there to place faith in Jesus, to say, Jesus, I know that I cannot be good enough to go to God. I know that I cannot deal with my own problems and my own sins and my own shortcomings. The only hope I have is through you. And if you are a Christian, but you say, I want to go to that place of greater dependence because I don't have the strength on my own, then the Christian prays, Father, send the Holy Spirit. Fill me full and fresh with your Holy Spirit. I don't even know what that means necessarily, but I want it. If it's from God, I want it because it'll be good. To live in dependence means to have a saving faith in Jesus Christ and then to have a life that is filled and empowered by God the Holy Spirit so we can do the mission, the work, respond to the crisis that come in our lives. I believe that God is able to save us fully and then to empower us so that we can live the victorious Christian life. Look forward to seeing you on our Zoom this week, Wednesday night at 7 p.m. God bless you. God loves you. God hears your prayers.